the last time i felt that the world had changed around me this much was when google was launched oh wow okay google. and that was at google.stanford.edu mm-hmm. this basically means i never need to learn stuff i can look up anything right mm-hmm. and with llms coming in now i realize shit i never need to think i just need to learn how to get things to think for me hi and welcome to our show leading with data and thanks for you know taking time out from your busy schedule and and the travel which has been uh, you know ongoing for you but uh, really looking forward to the discussion for our audience anand is uh, uh, you know someone who has been there with our community for now uh, last 5 years or probably longer actually have been at uh, data hack summit since 2017 and uh, i've loved every session you've done at data hack summit and in each of your talks so so i hope i'll i'll walk out with some insights about how to create that magic by end of the discussion today so welcome uh, anand thanks for having me kumar great so uh, sanand so i'll actually start at you know your uh, talks and and the magic you create so uh, you know i've now uh, as i said i think i've attended probably five uh, four or five talks on data hack summit uh, a few others you had uh, done i think i had attended one at fifth elephant if i'm not wrong and then a few online sessions as well and every time i just uh, you know walk out being wowed about how you go about narrating the story and the visualizations so uh uh can you walk us through you know what goes behind creating these talks and how do you uh, approach it so assuming let's say that you have to create a talk on on a new topic or a new story you have in mind how do you go about doing it and then uh, what what does the process or the how does it evolve over time it would be great to hear that there are usually two kinds of talks that i deliver mm-hmm. one that is aimed at teaching and the other that is aimed at learning okay the learning talk is where i pick something that i don't know enough about i say mm-hmm. i got to become good enough to be a master at this topic and that's why i'm mm-hmm. picking that topic okay mm-hmm. and it gives me a deadline it almost gives me a very interesting slot or a schedule to work against mm-hmm. those talks are usually hit and miss in the sense that the stories that come out of that may not be good because i'm trying them out for the first time but mm-hmm. that's what provides the raw material for many of my subsequent talks because i know what aspect works what aspect doesn't work mm-hmm. and i will be uh, conscious of the use of the word aspect because it's not that a talk or the material itself doesn't work some things will work some things will not and it's about discovering what works so mm-hmm. on the way i get raw material for talks and raw material for creating stories by mm-hmm. trying out new areas and in the process i also get the benefit of learning something new mm-hmm. the second is and the second kind of talk is where i aim to teach and that is assembling what has worked well in many of my earlier talks picking just the parts that were interesting and mm-hmm. stitching it together into the final talk okay what mm-hmm. is interesting in a talk may not necessarily be even content related to give you right. an example mm-hmm. uh, 
I was exploring a talk on mm -hmm. the use of comic characters. Okay. Mm -hmm. It struck me that while there are many interesting things about automating comic characters, one particular story particularly resonated both with me and the audience, which mm -hmm. is that as a kid, I wanted to draw cartoons for Disney. Right. Yeah. And the reality is I can't, if you put a gun to my head, I can't draw. So right. I gave up. But because I put together along with my colleagues this comic generation API and right. I was effectively using their drawing skills combined with my programming skills, mm -hmm. which happened to be used at Star TV, which okay. got acquired by Fox, which okay. got acquired by Disney. Wow. I ended up drawing for Disney. Amazing. Now, here's the thing. This is an interesting story, but has absolutely nothing to do with the technology behind or the data behind uh, the talk itself. And that's what I mean when I say it's not that the storyline necessarily has to be something that strengthens the content directly. It can be something that augments the content in a different way. And it literally is a story around it. So I try these out, whichever works, distill those and then it gets into the talk, which basically means two things go into supporting many of my talks. One is the quantum of raw material that goes into experimentation and uh, trying out with different audiences and with different topics. The yeah. second is a certain amount of creativity in going beyond what the content itself is about and taking the liberty to stitch together unusual stories. Right, right. And just want to maybe go a level deeper, right? So, so uh, uh, I'm presuming a lot of what you do in the talks where you are learning would ultimately go into the teaching talks. Uh, so, uh, so let's pick up the learning talk. Uh, there, uh, again, uh, as a process, do you kind of do as much research first or you, let's say, stitch a story and then find the data points? I mean, how does the actual creation or the research phase uh, happen? What I find is that purpose-driven learning works better than systematic learning. What I mean mm -hmm. by that is if I pick up a book or yeah. an API uh, site and go through it end-to-end, -end, I learn less than if I pick up a problem and try and solve it. Mm -hmm. I also find that if I, I pick a problem that I'm interested in, I'm more likely to get to the solution than a problem that I'm just making up. So mm -hmm. my first task is to figure out a problem that I want to solve for mm -hmm. whatever reason. For yeah. example, I decided that I need to learn social network analysis. Mm -hmm. So the first part was figuring out what kind of social network problem would I care about. And right. One of the answers that came to me, just for uh, no, no explicit reason, is if Govinda wants to act with Angelina Jolie, what is the network of actors that he would connect with mm -hmm. to get him to Angelina Jolie? And my initial thought was not necessarily Govinda and Angelina Jolie. I probably started off with Rajini contact someone else in some shape or form. But okay. I just eventually said, okay, how do how would two actors connect with each other? And a related question. Who are the actors who crossed over from the north to the south or who are in between multiple regions? Mm -hmm. I don't know the answers to these questions. 
So right. I said, okay, now I have a problem. Let's go about solving it, which is mm-hmm. the second. And the second yeah. part is a whole lot easier because right. now I have something that I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. I have something that is also related to the topic. The rest mm-hmm. is just figuring it out. Right. And so, so uh, in this phase, you've almost started taking the li- creative liberty, which you kind of mentioned. So, so this uh, happens uh, uh, at the start when you're also just thinking about the research. So, so the story formation and some of these dimensions maybe in which you want to explore, that happens uh, uh, at the start. Uh, is, is, is that how it works or that evolves? And- when it's a talk that I'm planning to learn about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If it's a teaching talk, it works the other way because I already have the raw material. And mm-hmm. then I think about how do I stitch it together to form an interesting story. For example, mm-hmm. one of the mm-hmm. TEDx talks that I gave, uh, it was TEDx Whitefield, if I remember right, was mm-hmm. uh, I honestly had no idea what the theme was going to be. So I said, mm-hmm. let's look at all of the interesting anecdotes, examples, data sets, stories that I have, put mm-hmm. it together. And what is an interesting way of stitching it together? Now, <clears throat> I've worked a fair bit on education. I've worked a fair bit on politics. I've worked a fair bit on a variety of public topics, geospatial analysis. And so where, when threading through this, it struck me that one thing that I can stitch together as a common topic is when a person was born, mm-hmm. where a person was born, how a person was born, what a person is born as, how all of these affect them in each phase of life. So mm-hmm. the theme ended up being how your birth determines your life. Wow. Now that's a case where I get to the topic by picking from raw materials and then do a little bit of uh, filtering to say, okay, this fits the topic well, this doesn't fit the topic well. Mm-hmm. Summarize, if it's something that I'm looking to learn, I pick an interesting problem first. If it's something that I'm looking to teach, then I pick the base and then stitch together what is the interesting story around it. And, uh, you know, between the two phases, and maybe they're interrelated, so there aren't two phases. Uh, In terms of how the talk comes out, which is more kind of impactful? So is it that, you know, getting these questions is the most critical part? Or is it uh, that, you know, that creative liberty or, you know, just uh, what are those dimensions where you would want to explore? That's usually the most. Im- so so what's the most critical part in the process? And then where do you, uh, I mean, where would you want to focus the most in order to bring the talk out in the most impactful manner? Got you. Um, I don't know. And I think it may vary from person to person. Let me explain. Hmm. Uh, there are a number of data visualization stories that I've created over the last uh, close to a decade, decade and a half. And yet, a few of the stories that I had created in 2011, Mm -hmm. including, for instance, a visual analysis of the Mahabharata and an analysis of word dates, are stories that people still remember more so than almost any of the stories that are told later on, which tells me that the content totally matters. Mm-hmm. Having said that, what I've also realized is that a big part of it was because of the way some of those stories were told. Right. For example, when I would tell people that elder children tend to score more, they'd say, yeah, I could have guessed that. So I changed yeah. the narrative to say, do you think 
the sun sign affects the marks of a child. At which point they start to think, yeah, no, that can't be. And the reality is, yes, it does. Which makes it a hell of a lot more memorable. Right. When you talk about the network of the closeness of characters in the Mahabharata, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. But it's only when I started narrating it as, let's find out which Pandava is Dhaudraupadi's favorite, that mm-hmm. it started becoming more memorable. And mm-hmm. therefore, the, how you tell it clearly has a strong impact. And what I found is that people sometimes remember the how I tell more than the content. Like, for instance, mm-hmm. mentioned that I therefore draw for Disney. People don't remember the content of the talk. But they do remember mm-hmm. that I achieved a childhood ambition. It was something to do with technology and nothing to do with drawing, actually. Yeah. To your question, which of these is more important? I don't know. I haven't been able to figure out the pattern. But I do believe that one can definitely compensate for the other. So mm-hmm. even if someone has a poor style, or even if someone has poor content, I believe that mm-hmm. you can quite, uh, with some effort, you know, mm-hmm. offset the deficit quite well. Got it, got it. So, so essentially, uh, in the learning talks, you uh, spend the time researching about it where some of these creative questions come in. And once the, let's say, storyline is ready, that is when you would spend time on what's the best way to bring it out and then narrate the story. So there is explicit kind of... Uh, uh, thought on what could be the best way to bring out these uh, to fine-tune the story. Absolutely. In fact, there are a number of talks which I give that uh, I prepare for just an hour before the talk. It's usually on the taxi ride to the place. And mm-hmm. the only thing that I do at that time is write down the storyline. The content mm-hmm. is all there. It's usually just demos. I just need to know in what order to jump across those. For which mm-hmm. the only thing that's required is the storyline. So that is certainly a critical element. If mm-hmm. if someone has a good storyline, which is literally the titles of the slides that you're going to be talking about, and mm-hmm. just narrating that storyline can cause an impact. The rest is detail. Right, and very interesting. And and does this change when when we are doing the teaching uh, talks? I mean, obviously the. Uh, mode has changed because you now are stitching different things. But uh, 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 I mean, do they a do they necessarily come together coherently to form a overall story? Because these are kind of modular pieces you're bringing it together. Yeah, no, and that part of the trick is in figuring out figuring out something that mm-hmm. is coherent. That is one mm-hmm. half of it. But the reality is, given a heterogeneous bunch of topics. No one theme will fit them perfectly. After that, it's two steps. Step one, Mm -hmm. drop what doesn't fit. Mm -hmm. Second, make what is remaining fit better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you take specific aspects of an analysis and talk about it. To give an example, we were working with uh, Karnataka Maths data and Mm -hmm. found a variety of interesting things like government schools, tend to be, on average, worse than private schools in terms of marks. But mm-hmm. some government, the best government schools are on par with the best private schools, which is a useful and interesting piece of analysis, but is something that I discarded because it did not fit with the theme of my TEDx Whitefield talk, which was how your birth shapes your life. Right. Mm-hmm. Instead, what I took was that aspect of uh, the Karnataka marks analysis where 
children born in coastal karnataka score higher than children born in central karnataka and that fits because i can talk about the place of birth influencing your life right right so that's what i mean by making a topic fit a theme got it got it and uh, uh you know so this is these are essentially the talks which you're doing in an open uh, kind of subject uh how much does that translate in terms of the workflow etc in, in let's say the work which you do with your clients does the process kind of remain same or it's a very different setup so so you it's uh, 50% different there yeah. are clients for whom we do almost exactly the same kind of work just that it's with private data so right. for example a medtech company said we want to reduce our distribution cost great mm-hmm. so how does one go about doing that and for me it's again the first step is the learning process so i yeah. was curious what who are the customers who will be impacted if they try to reduce the uh, overall cost and how is it that they can go about reducing the cost for sending it to a customer so i started playing around found that there is one particular case where on a given day mm-hmm. from the same location to the same location for the same customer for the same medicine for from using the same carrier using the exact same route there were 32 shipments on one day okay <laughs> crazy i mean look that's like calling the fedex guy 32 times to your house and saying look to that particular house i have 32 parcels but i will call you 32 times 32 minutes yeah <clears throat> which is crazy now here is the thing it forms a story only when i get to some point where i say that's crazy yeah why would that ever happen only then it becomes memorable mm-hmm. so it's exactly the same process just with private data and then converted into an application that delivers the same story that i would narrate in some kind of say story telling form but mm-hmm. that is only 50% of uh, what we do with clients because the other 50% is while in a talk people expect a finished product yeah while working with clients they expect two things that are different one to be involved as part of the process so there's a lot of working process output that goes along second yeah. it is the ability for them to be able to deliver such insights mm-hmm. so often they say give me the raw material for me to be able to play around i don't want you to come up with the answer i want me to be able to come up with the answer yeah mm-hmm. so when yeah, it comes yeah. to that what we do is more tool building or solution building that empowers them to find the story and narrate the story in that sense it is different okay and then uh, for that specifically right uh, so if you're let's say building a tool or a dashboard for a client to bring out those stories uh, how how does that process work so do you focus on a few specific questions which the client would want to answer or uh, or it would be a mix of let's say exploratory data as well as uh, some insightful questions so 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 how does that happen um the it's a mix and it's unfortunately hard to figure out which of these we should go for answering a question or exploration but in both cases we need some clarity on what problem the person is trying to solve right so let's start with what i call explanatory dashboards versus mm-hmm. exploratory dashboards 
Right. In an explanatory dashboard, there is a specific problem that the person is trying to solve, hopefully which will lead to a specific action which will have an impact. And it's important that we get to know what that is. So that everything is aligned towards that one objective. For example, let's say it's a real estate company that owns a bunch of hotels and is trying to decide which hotels I should hold and which hotels I should uh, divest or sell. Mm -hmm. In that case, there is only one thing that we want them to know, which is hold these and sell these and why. So the entire decision-making process is structured in a way that they can answer that question, what should I do and why is that the right choice in a, mm -hmm. in a sequence. Now, figuring, figuring this out is not trivial. Yeah. Quite often, the client doesn't know it, that this mm -hmm. is what they want. But mm -hmm. if we figure it out and we execute effectively against it, it becomes a hit. Mm -hmm. The second scenario, which is exploratory, is where the client says, I don't want to solve a problem. I want the capability to solve a problem. That right. becomes tricky. Very then we have to enable a wide variety of interactions. And mm -hmm. over the years, we've learned what kinds of interactions people usually want at what stage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For example, Excel is a great tool mm -hmm. and caters to just so many needs that in many of the cases, what people really need is Excel that can work on top of their data and their business logic. It may be okay. larger than what Excel can hold, and it may be uh, far more complex than what Excel can hold, but that's exactly what they want. For example, somebody may say, look, what I need is a pivot table of all of the reviews about my product versus mm -hmm. a whole bunch of topics. Sure. Mm -hmm. Except that, if I had the raw data, I'd be able to do it, but I don't really have those numbers. So I want a machine learning system to be able to figure out this review actually belongs 85% to this topic, only 20% to this topic, and so on. So fill out yeah. the numbers using some kind of magic or AI or whatever. But I really just need an Excel sheet because from there, I know exactly what to do. Yeah. In that case, all of the capabilities that one needs to provide in an exploratory dashboard are sorting, filtering, searching, pivoting, grouping, Charting, all of that, and what of them, which is coming up with that numbers yeah. exactly, which is the uh, precursor to it. Uh, right. The same thing would work in, in, for instance, somebody may say, "What I want is I've got a bunch of uh, a table of numbers in mm -hmm. hundreds of PDF files. I want to extract that, and then I kind of know what to do." Mm -hmm. In which case, we are providing capability to do certain things. In those cases, it is. Uh, relatively hard to say give me the problem that you're going to solve they right. don't know and we need mm -hmm. to take that next level of maturity to say here are the ways in which they can solve the kinds of problems and right. and, and does that become a, a challenge because uh, i mean uh, for example in some of the discussions with uh, uh, you know some of the projects i have been involved with it usually ends up being a very open uh you know question uh, for example in one of the insurance companies uh we were working with uh they said we would want to look at you know every possible interaction effect with the agent demographics so so based on whether the uh, uh, agent is from a particular city where they how much time they spend there what kind of car do they drive in and potentially a lot more other vectors 
ultimately linking to the performance or uh, you know how the agents are. so so how do you kind of zero down on what what uh, could go in the dashboard or uh, you know what does the process look like if it is completely open ended in other words somebody said here is the data now build what you will then we've narrowed this down to a bunch of principles which incidentally a part of which was uh, the subject of my last data hack summit talk yeah. uh, was here is what people are invariably interested in they yeah. want the capability to find out which is most important which means yeah. everything should be sorted everything right they want the capability to zoom in into a particular area which means everything should be filtered right they want the capability to be able to find a specific needle in the haystack which means that all the way across the hierarchy we should be able to search but it's not just any arbitrary search it's an incremental search search as i type and the reason right. that's important is because as i progressively uh, go further a i will discover adjacencies that i'm not earlier aware of and i may discover that for example i'm spelling it wrong and the search as you type when i hit that wrong character i say oh this is where i made a mistake so that becomes pretty powerful i want the capability to be able to highlight pretty much any of the details put another way i want not i may mean, be initially interested in one particular column so let's say what's the sales but when i find that something has a relatively low sales i want to know whether that's because the sales was low or the returns were high so mm-hmm. i want the ability to add those details around it so what i just did was listed four principles which is sort everything progressive filter progressively search incrementally and highlight details which you would want to include in any dashboard that has full capability and there are four more that are slightly more advanced which i think are again part of the common capability mm-hmm. it's a trade off however to say do we want to provide people with all of these capabilities in the dashboard itself or could we just export after they've gotten a first cut and put right. it into this tableau and play around with that yeah that means in the sense that there are several good tools for pure exploratory analysis or just take it into a jupyter notebook so mm-hmm. quite often we end up coming up with a two phase uh, approach to exploratory analysis where the first phase is about extracting the right subset of data which is something that the other tools may not do which may be for instance mm-hmm. just do ocr do a, a round of filtering do a round of summarization in any kind of exploratory way and then push it into maybe excel where they download and uh, analyze it however they want that's a good option too. to summarize a there are a set of principles that one can apply for any kind of good dashboard right ready dashboard but you don't necessarily need to go the whole hog you may choose another tool as a second phase yeah yeah and then you can also choose which out of let's say these eight principles would you are more critical and then you would want to use depending on exactly but uh this has been uh, there on my mind uh, with uh, you know in terms of use of generative ai so so uh, i mean there are a whole lot of different use cases but what i want to focus on is you know uh, as someone who is you know really great at building these visualizations and data stories how has been your experiments with uh, generative ai and then you know uh, how do you feel about it the last time i felt that the world had changed around me this much was when google was launched oh wow okay google, and that was at google.stanford.edu mm-hmm. this basically means i never need to learn stuff 
I can look up anything. Right. Mm-hmm. And with LLMs coming in, now I realize, shit, I never need to think. I just need to learn how to get things to think for me. Correct. Correct. It is that transformational. So how do I see it changing the way I work? By and large, I've stopped coding. I just tell LLMs to code for me. And mm-hmm. there have been a few applications that have built that are 100% LLM generated. Mm-hmm. I was looking at a multi-trend chart. I said, mm-hmm. given this kind of a data format, generate a chart that will create, uh, that will draw a line through each one of these categories. And it did. Then I added a comment. I typed that out. This is fine. But what I actually want is to draw circles at each one of those nodes. And the size of the circle should be based on this data. It made that change. But now, fine. Uh, I want a tooltip when I hover over those circles. It did it. This isn't quite working well. When I hover over something, I have to hover exactly over it and some of those circles are small. So change it so that no matter where I am, it finds the closest circle and hovers over that. It did that. And it did it in a way that was computationally expensive. So I'm experienced enough to know that that's going to be slow. So I said, no, don't use that. Use a quadri algorithm to do that. So modify this program to use a quadri algorithm. And it did. Mm-hmm. In other words, I did not write a single line of code. Right. Mm-hmm. And the solution works beautifully. Beautifully. Mm-hmm. And this is one kind of assistant. So the way okay. I'm thinking about it is what generative AI has given me, specifically large language models, is mm-hmm. the ability to create assistance. Right. So in this particular case, I just created uh, an assistant who will code for me. And I can yeah. create any push assistance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can create an assistant for any of a series of different topics. So one of the common tasks that comes to me is given, uh, I actually uh, cited this as an example. So given a topic, or given, let's say, a feedback, find out mm-hmm. which topic this is closest to. Or okay. fuzzy match. I have a column of customers from source A, I have a column of customers from source B. Normally, what I do is we look up, but right. it needs to be fuzzy, so I do some transformations, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So instead, I tell this assistant, here is column A, here is column B, find the best matches, knowing that A is a subset of B mostly. Okay. And it tries it, we can do smarter things with embeddings and so on, but it ultimately gets the job done. That's a different kind of assistant. Mm-hmm. Now, I also use it to create ideas for me. I want to learn by experimenting. So I use it as a self-help coach and right. I create a self-help coach assistant. Mm-hmm. Now, if that is the case, I'm only limited by my imagination in the kind of assistance that I need, which is particularly a problem for me because I'm the kind of person who would not ask for help. Even if I'm stranded, lost in a desert, I won't ask for directions. Right, right. Is the change that I'm trying to uh, get to? The, I, mean, I mean, in 2098, when Google uh, Stanford was launched, uh, I decided that I need to make a transition from knowing to being able to discover. Right. Now I need to make the transition from thinking to be able to guide thinking. Guide thinking. Correct. Correct. It's going to be powerful. It is going to be powerful. And then, uh, 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 yeah, there are all sort of these uh, assistants which you can think of starting from maybe the research part, for example, right? Yeah. Or yeah. the creative ideas or dimensions that, you know, just through 10 interesting ideas. Uh, 
so so uh, i guess uh, uh, you know the key question is how to use this technology uh, to create assistance which which you're saying that you know how do i guide uh, so that's that's true uh, great and and any particular stories where you have used this more inherently lately and then how did they come out compared to so so what what was the overall impact was it on let's say better quality of stories or the time shrunk or or maybe mix of both uh, in terms of the overall impact um let's take both but both of these are in some sense um incremental and the power of incrementality is sometimes missed uh let me explain i think it was a mckinsey article that uh, explained one impact of ai dramatically which is that it's simply economics ai lowers the cost of doing certain things and when something has a lower cost a lot more things become worth doing right mm-hmm. if i had to um let's say create a, a improve uh for let's take an example now i read about one book a week yeah ideally i would remember the stuff but the reality is i probably remember less than 1% but i usually remember oh you know there was something in one of my books uh, that i read somewhere i can't remember what it was but it had to do with the, you know how to build the, the habit of exercising some such thing i would love to be able to search my memory or my notes for this now today it is economical to be able to do that because i can go to an llm and say write me a program that will index my books and my notes and answer questions and use that to actually uh, run the application so now i have effectively all of my memory and all of my learning converted into a knowledge base the only reason this is possible now it's only it's possible now earlier i could have done it too it would have taken me 10 hours right now it will take me 1 hour mm-hmm. that's it it's just a 9 hour saving but the thing is at 10 hours i couldn't spare the time yeah at 1 yeah. hour i can I and think. it is the difference between impossible to possible possible usually because there is that kind of a cutoff so yes you're right it's just that there is better quality and there is lower effort but because of that lower quality and lower effort the roi or the threshold is breached for so many things that there is an explosion of new stuff that people do yeah yeah that is true that is uh, uh coming back to you know one of the points which you kind of mentioned before and i wanted to kind of go deeper in that and that was the you know comic generator uh, uh, which you had created so uh, you know how did how did that start and then how did uh, kind of a inspiration to create a tool like that uh, came out uh, and yeah, we had some pretty uh, bizarre characters in grandma so uh, richie who was uh, the who used to head our story lab team he'd always been interested in uh, creating comic uh, characters for as part of our data visualization and we felt he was interested in practically every kind of unusual visual representation we could think of mm-hmm. and uh, we had another colleague ramya who 
along with a few of her design team colleagues, just one day decided to decorate an entire wall in Grammar with comic characters. Okay. And said, okay, so clearly we have people who can draw and hmm. people who want to but cannot draw, but on the other hand can code. What does it take to get that skill into something that's reusable? And the insight that uh, made the difference was, he said, what if we could predefine a bunch of emotions and a, predefine a bunch of poses and create characters that can combinatorially match? In right. which case, we get a wide variety of characters for this, for a lot less effort. If I have a 10 by 10, I draw 20 characters, but I get 100 characters. Got it. Mm -hmm. And that became what is now the most popular site on grammar.com, which is Comic Gen. Right. And since then, it has become an open source API to generate comics of a variety of different kinds. And then they started expanding the character base. They said, okay, now we need some more variety. We need a woman, we need a teapot, we need um, a, a Biden and Trump. All <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, in terms of, you know, uh, just, I mean, uh, they, they still look like very uh, different, uh, uh, you know, capabilities. So A, kind of generating these ideas and then productionizing it. So so when did that, you know, bridge get created or uh, I mean, did it happen over time or was it like a uh, instant when, when this question came up in your mind? So so how, how did that happen? Oh, it was, it took years. And mm -hmm. the way I see it, it's not that there is any shortage of interesting or creative ideas at any given mm -hmm. point anyone anywhere will have a whole bunch of ideas that they're thinking for example one of my colleagues whom i was talking to about an hour ago he has mm -hmm. this brilliant idea of contactless uh, visiting cards and i told him when he uh, pitched this idea to me saying look i need this can you get me one like today okay. before i go to this meeting because then i can just show my phone and they would be able to get my contact details i don't carry visiting cards now, ideas like this are all over the place. But given that base of ideas, sometimes when the conversations happen, and I think that's an important part, the connections strengthen. And sometimes the connections strengthen enough that they would just go to the next stage. Which is, somebody says, look, I started off the code, but I haven't done anything about it. Or I started off the analysis, but I haven't done anything about it. And then a few more connections built. Somebody says, okay, I created a crude prototype. I don't think it will go anywhere. At any point, there would be a pyramid of uh, experiments at different stages. And eventually, something just pops up. What I think is the, the you know, what builds up a strong base is when there are enough connections and conversations, which is simply about somebody asking, what are you doing? outside of what you're supposed to be doing or hmm. what Google made famous with 20% time, for example. Sure. Yeah. And that builds this base and makes the pyramid taller. The mm -hmm. second thing that makes a difference in this is when one of these reaches the top, for someone to put together a structure around how to take it to the market and shape it in that direction. To be mm -hmm. fair, I think we've had a lot more success on the former than on the latter. There are many organizations who had a lot more success on the latter than the former. The best ones are, of course, those that get both right. 
ரைட்ஸ் <laughs> So I started this about four, maybe five years ago and uh, the uh, intent was for me to, just to keep myself honest about the things that I want to do in that year uh, and to share what I've learned in the process. Right. What I find is that sharing an email every year saying, this is what I planned last year. Yeah. This is how it went. This is what I'm planning this year means mm-hmm. A, I get to reconnect with a lot of people that i haven't connected with otherwise yeah. b i get to share from what i've learned which i anyway enjoy doing and mm-hmm. the third i put in a public commitment commitment that next year i either have to go back to this audience shame facing i didn't do it or i get to get it done so mm-hmm. nothing else it helps me uh, so this year i've taken on three things uh, publicly and a couple of things privately mm-hmm. one is to run 50 experiments and learn from it mm-hmm. like, this was the same thing that i did last year it yeah. started and then fizzled out again this right. year it started well and fizzled yeah. out so okay let me this week i've had two conversations with a couple of friends and asking them how does one build a habit of learning from experimentation and i'm still struggling with it but because this is something i know i will put like everyone know at the end of the year mm-hmm. i have a constant fear drive push yeah almost exactly like if i come to a talk to learn yeah i have to learn right and right. this is one of those another which is coming along a little better is uh, because the human brain really only uses 10% of conscious effort and 90% is shaped by the environment my theory was if i shape my if i use that 10% of conscious thinking to shape my environment instead of influencing me that makes a huge difference so ranging from for example work out of a different place every day meet a new person every day listen to a different genre of songs every day so the plan was every month i would run one of these changes in experiments and mm-hmm. so how worked dramatically like working out of a different place has made a huge difference meeting new people has made a huge difference listening to different song genres has not made that much of a difference eating new kinds of food maybe at least now i have more places that i can eat at so maybe partial difference but uh, this is one of those things where i'm at least slightly ahead of the mm-hmm. broad process where i commit share and use that feedback to improve and then what's the third uh, public uh, thing which you have taken up calendar integrity that is sticking to what i do this is something that i, that I used to do pretty well but mm-hmm. uh, last year i felt i slipped a little bit and took it up this year but mm-hmm. like habits that one has learned once kind of like mm-hmm. swimming once you've done it you don't really forget so i'm ignoring this because it's going so well that i'm not even tracking it okay <laughs> okay great great and you know given you read so much you you obviously relate to books a lot have you considered writing a book on visualization so for example this process which we talked about uh, 
putting that in a in a kind of a practice book or a guide book or a book of sorts um i realize that writing a book is a lot of work and i get bored and okay. having said that i discovered a few months ago that i have such a high level of cholesterol that my doctor almost got a heart attack and <laughs> she scared me enough that i really thought i was going to die and which one i started thinking okay so if i have only a few months to live then what do i want to do half the answer is probably nothing very different from what i really want to do so one half of me just went back to watching netflix mm-hmm. but and the other half of me still was really scared it's like okay if i want to leave something behind then it should be perhaps in the form of a book and mm-hmm. it should perhaps be around something that i know better than many people which includes visualization say for example how does one create an operation dashboard yeah. uh, and that's now gotten to the top of my to do list okay but Well, is one of those things where even though I'm scared that I might die at any moment and I have to leave this behind for posterity and all of that, I'm not doing anything about it. And I'm still go watching Netflix and trying to create. So, uh, have I thought about it? Yes, more so in recent times, but I'm still too lazy. Got it. Got it. Great. And uh, just as a closing question, right? So, people who are let's say starting their career journeys today, uh, what would be your kind of maybe top 2 3 pieces of advice or or the other way to put is what what would you advise your own younger self today uh, based on what you uh, your perspective which you've gained over the years the two are somewhat different so let me share uh, what i would share perhaps as uh, useful things for someone starting off on their career um, the first is play with what you like what i mean by that is quite often people say oh i need problem sets to work on i need yeah. to figure out what i should learn and my suggestion on that is prioritize the things that you like first simply because you'll find it easier to stick to it nothing else mm-hmm. it's not that what you like is necessarily better for you quite often what you like may be the worst thing for you but whichever way it is you're more likely to see it to closure than mm-hmm. the other way and that is the simple benefit and i think that's important mm-hmm. meaning three things to closure the second thing is teach by learn by teaching mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff that you want to learn don't even bother trying to learn alone instead commit to teaching somebody that has three benefits first you're forced to learn second mm-hmm. improves the level quality of learning to the point where you can get somebody else to explain it which is a much higher level of learning third you will make some friends who owe you a favor and that counts for a hell of a lot but if i had to advise myself say going back uh, a generation then what i might tell myself is don't get too fussed up about what's good or what's right quite often bad can be good and good can be bad meaning the very things that are the best things for you to do now are probably the worst things that you could do every every single thing has a good and a bad just evaluate both sides of the coin and this is partly because i would by default and i still do uh, find an answer to a question without acknowledging that an answer is just one way of looking at a question mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. interesting very interesting 
Great. Uh, thanks a lot, uh, Anand, for uh, you know your time. Uh, as as usual, very insightful. I think uh, a lot of learnings there for uh, the community and anyone interested in that topic. I think this this is almost like a goldmine of experience. So thanks a lot, and look forward to having you in future summits and events at uh, Analytics. With you. Would love to. Thanks for the opportunity, Gunas. Thank you. Thank you.